Hello world, welcome back to our daily show. Hello Suze, how are you doing today? I'm great, great seeing you again. Absolutely, me too. Uh, Suze, last week was Microsoft Include. Did you watch videos for this conference? Yes, I did and I absolutely loved it. You know, technology should be made accessible to all and no one should be left behind. So it gave me a great understanding on how diversity and inclusion are essential for global businesses to succeed. And diversity and inclusion are generally at the heart of what we do every day at Microsoft. Yeah, that's so true. And so if you missed it and you want to check it out, everything is on include2021.microsoft.com. So make sure to check it out. Also, I just want to welcome or rather to extend an early welcome to our MVP and regional director friends, because next week uh, it's going to be the annual MVP summit. And everybody uh, who is a, a Microsoft uh, most valuable professional or a regional director, uh, those are our partner programs, uh, is going to join us online. and. We are going to have tons of uh, sessions for you. So uh, make sure to register for that. And uh, we will see you next week. My team is working really hard uh, to have you all there. So, uh, uh, Suze, do you have some announcement from Asia for us? Mm. From Ignite China last week, Microsoft will continue to increase our intelligent cloud services in the China market. So the new data center will actually be available um, next year in spring 2022. So doubling our, and expanding our intelligent cloud capabilities and service offerings in China. So there'll wow. be a great focus in terms of flexible um, deployment and management of um, hybrid cloud and multi-cloud environments, not forgetting good governance in terms of mobility and um, security. So mm -hmm. um, in terms of hardware, we also spoke about HoloLens 2 industrial version being made available and also the Surface Hub 2S. Um, it has an 85-inch large screen being made available in the China market. Mm. So whatever that I just covered is just the tip of the iceberg. Really, there's so much more in um, the session itself. So the on-demand session is now made available in the link below, aka.ms Ignite China 21. All right, so make sure to check it out. And I also have an announcement about Europe because, uh, as you all know, uh, you know, conferencing is going on in a digital manner. And tomorrow and Thursday, we will have Future Tech Digital. Uh, why do I mention it? It's because it's, uh, it's a free conference, so everybody can register and participate in that. Uh, and also, we are going to have uh, quite a few speakers that we know. For example, Amy Boyd, who is going to host the Hello World show tomorrow, is going to speak there. Uh, we are going to have Hank Bullman, who is also a cloud advocate. Uh, Richard Campbell, who was on the show last week, if you remember, uh, to talk to us about, uh, about regional directors, or maybe it was two weeks ago, time flies so fast. Uh, and I'm also going to be very delighted to talk to you about .NET. Um, so make sure to check it out. It's a cool conference and it's going to happen uh, Wednesday and Thursday this week. Mm, so where can they find out more information though? Absolutely. They can find more information at futuretech.nl. And Suze, do you want to talk to us about this week's agenda? Definitely. So today we bring back OSS Spotlight with Aaron Wislang. Lazy Git is the team. We do have this week on Channel 9 with Christina Warren and the Audience Challenge with Jeremiah and also a new segment with Dan Wallen. Sharing, um, he'll be sharing about Microsoft Graph. So this new segment will be here for the next four weeks. Yeah, this is really cool. And uh, I am back with my camera. Here we go. Voila. <laughs> you know, this is a, a live show. And so things happen sometimes. Um, so this is really cool. So very cool um, uh, schedule that we have today. And uh, without further ado, we are going to go to the OSS Spotlight with our good friend, Aaron. So Aaron, uh, welcome to the show again. And you're going to talk to us about this uh, OSS project called LazyGit. So what is LazyGit? Hi, 
Thanks, Laurent. So LazyGit is a simple terminal UI for Git, and it's written mm. in Go, uh, but created by Jesse Duffield, who's Jesse Duffield on GitHub, and Duffield Jesse uh, on Twitter. It's also a GitHub sponsors project, so you can sponsor this project and others that he works on, like LazyDocker. So mm -hmm. Git is so important for developers everywhere, but it's also very complex. And you can do a lot by learning the basics, but even they can be hard. So as soon as you go a little beyond that, you're often working with the Git CLI, which can be unfamiliar or less efficient. So what LazyGit does is it provides a full terminal UI right there inside your terminal, where everything is often sort of a single keystroke away. Things happen exceptionally fast, it reduces mistakes, and it also runs everywhere. So anywhere you can run a terminal on Mac, on Windows, on Linux, um, even from other machines like phones and tablets and all sorts of things like that. So mm -hmm. it's a great way to explore Git rather than just use it. And every team or company tends to have its resident Git expert, and this may be one of the fastest ways to become one of those. Now, that's really cool because I know a lot of people are using the Git CLI. I use it as well sometimes, but I like graphical user interface. So personally, I like to use something called Git extensions, which is also a, a free you know, user interface for that. But what is a terminal user interface? Yeah, we covered another terminal user interface last week when you showed off Canines, which is for Indeed. working with Kubernetes. Uh, but the terminal UI basically provides a highly interactive user interface right inside your terminal. So a CLI or a command line interface is usually something where you run a single command, you pass in flags, the data comes back and you read it or process it, um, and then you kind of rinse and repeat. Uh, so in this case, everything is interactive uh, and you can visualize, it's keystroke driven, you make fewer mistakes and things are much, much more efficient. Uh, these go all the way back to even sort of Norton Commander and before in 1986 and for many years after that, and they're kind of making a resurgence now, so in many different ways. And this one's a particular popular, particularly popular one. How interesting. And uh, in fact, yeah, we all remember, or at least people as old as me all remember those, uh, <laughs> those programs. So this is really cool. So when would you say you would choose a terminal UI versus a CLI or, for example, even VS Code, which has actually a great uh, Git UI integrated, right? So if you're living inside VS Code, it has great source control functionality built into the ID, and that covers 80% of what you need day to day. Mm. I use it for all the languages that I, I work with and so forth on a daily basis. LazyGit is extremely complimentary even here, because when you need that extra piece of functionality, you don't drop down to the Git CLI straight away. You can use a UI for that as well. So I not only that, it runs everywhere. So this includes remote virtual machines in the cloud. You might have a Linux VM that you're dropping into very briefly, and you don't want to install mm -hmm. a lot of things there. Um, I use it when I have scripts and things that are on a remote machine that I'm tweaking in place and then pushing back to GitHub. You might be working with large repos inside the Windows subsystem for Linux. You run right. lazy Git and everything just works locally there. And it really mm -hmm. does run everywhere. So even places where you may not have a, um, a full-blown user interface, like I might be editing a blog post on my iPad or even making a small tweak from my iPhone using Blink Shell or using Termux from an Android device, I'll often edit things and that makes Git kind of workable there. It gives mm -hmm. you a very tight in a development loop, especially in places where you're hacking on lots of small tweaks where every second counts. Um, this could be even CICD pipelines working with GitHub Actions or something. Um, mm -hmm. Each change is that much faster when you're working with keystrokes versus clicks. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and did I see correctly? 18.9 thousand stars. That's really like, like a lot of users out there. So uh, I saw that Jesse is actually using GitHub sponsors. I'm not super familiar with that. So how can the community support this project? 
So GitHub Sponsors is fantastic, and it's a way that anybody can go out there and support a developer who has enabled this on their profile and their repos. Uh, this mm -hmm. is an independent uh, project developed by Jesse, supported by the community, and anybody can go along and donate uh, via a small uh, monthly fee um, and well, monthly donation. Uh, he talks about how motivating it can be for an open source developer um, when other people are sort of sponsoring the work and supporting it in this sense. And it's one of the things we can do to make these open source projects more sustainable. It's a great way for companies to uh, support and to sponsor. And also, this is one of the projects that GitHub Sponsors has chosen and will be matching dollar for dollar for 12 months. So if you make a dollar, uh, sorry, if you make a donation, uh, GitHub matches that donation um, for quite a few months to come. So this is uh, really fantastic. And that's that's really fantastic and indeed a great way to support uh, open source projects. So what would you say is the quickest way for me to try, uh, to try out LazyGit? Fantastic. I've made a uh, landing page at aka.ms slash hello-oss, and it's got links to the GitHub, to Jesse's profiles, and so forth. Um, it also has uh, some samples that we can you can run LazyGit with. We remember we talked about Multipass a couple of episodes ago. Mm -hmm. uh, that one actually has LazyGit pre-installed, so you can hack on something like Dapper with LazyGit. Uh, we have another one which is uh, for working with static sites on GitHub with GitHub, GitHub pages, uh, GitHub Actions, and you can use LazyGit, and that's another great content-driven workflow, editing blog posts, and so forth, which is mm. it's great for that too. So it's a good place to start. It's aka.ms slash hello-oss. That's fantastic. Let's bring back Suze and ask Suze, what did you think of this uh, segment, Suze? That's really cool, right? Mm, that was awesome. And you know, Aaron, I learned something incredibly useful about OSS every week. Um, Lohong, what are you doing with your yeah, actually on oh, yeah, I, I'm so sorry. So you know what happened is that um, last week we had Kendra who talked to us about TikTok and then we have Burke Holland as well. And actually, I was so enthusiastic about that that I made an account on TikTok. Can you believe it? I'm on TikTok now, so I'm so hip. And this is so cool. So I was actually checking uh, this really cool video that uh, Burke sent me. And you can also watch it at ak.ms slash codetuck slash WSL. Uh, it's talking about the Windows subsystem for Linux. And it's great. So thank you so much, Burke, for that. Um, and uh, yeah, this is really cool. Everybody should check it out. Great stuff you have there, Lohong. So let's move on because we want to hear what Christina is going to share this week on Channel 9. Hey, Suze, thank you so much. Um, so welcome uh, to a live edition of This Week on Channel 9. I'm your host, Christina Warren. I'm Senior Cloud Advocate. My, I do a weekly show where I go through the latest things happening in the developer space. I also wear fun shirts. My shirt this week is from the Travis Scott by McDonald's collection. This was actually very hard to get. Uh, I also have like a three-foot chicken nugget pillow, body pillow, not joking. It's also very cool. Anyway, enough of all that. Let's get into some of this week's latest step news. So the first thing that I want to start with is um, there's some great cloud native learning resources for .NET developers. And this is available um, in the, the link is in, the, in our show notes and description. But this is just a really excellent blog post because it is going to help you get started if you're a .NET developer and you're interested in kind of getting into the cloud native world. We talk a lot about that, what it means, microservices, Docker, containers, Kubernetes registration, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're kind of looking for a place to start, this is an excellent resource. So we've got a link to this in the show notes and the description. Good stuff. The next thing I want to talk about is speaking of some kind of updates is there is, there's been an update to the um, Azure Event Grid client library. So this is the culmination of a ton of work from those teams, the client libraries for Azure Event Grid, which is basically how you can bring various communications and event grid services to your applications. 
And the client libraries uh, are Java, JavaScript, TypeScript, and of course, .NET. These have all been updated. There are a bunch of new features. Um, so be sure to check that out, especially if you're interested in doing event grid stuff. Next thing that I want to talk about, this I loved. So last week on this weekend channel nine on Hello World, we talked about an interview that I did with Dr. Sarah Kaiser, who is a um, quantum physicist and uh, uh, has a PhD in quantum, but she's also a, really into quantum computing. And um, the Microsoft quantum team wrote a great blog post this week, uh, kind of looking into exploring ways that quantum computing can actually be used in chemistry and with different like uh, molecular compounds and what the possibilities of that might be and how you can use some of the quantum tools in the QDK, which is the quantum development kit uh, to simulate and, and look at how quantum could solve certain hard science problems. This is really good stuff. So I've got a link to the show notes in the description down below for that. I also wanted to give a shout out. Uh, there's a new version of NuGet, which is the .NET package uh, manager that is now at uh, version 5.9. That's available now as with the standalone download and you can get it from you know, your, your various uh, other ways that you wanna update that. So if you're a, a .NET developer, or you're just somebody who likes to have, um, you know, manage uh, your, your various .NET packaging, check out the latest NuGet stuff. The next thing I want to talk about, I love this. So we talked about, the, we've talked about .NET 5 um, over the past few months. It was released uh, officially in November and the road to get there. And we've also talked about modernizing your apps. But what I love about this blog post from Isaac is that he goes through the process of taking an app that was built in 2019 and updating it to using the latest versions of .NET 5 and some of the latest additions that have come to, to Blazor and WebAssembly. And so if you've been looking for a way to update um, an app of your own, I think this is just a really good case study and it's just a really good blog post. So great stuff from Isaac. Next up, um, I, I just wanted to give a shout out to this blog post from GitHub. They, It's a really good overview of some of the different license types that you might see on the web that are not open source um, according to the open source initiatives, open source definition, but still let source be available and still let developers have a lot of flexibility with what they can do with the source code. So if you see some of these different license types, this is a really good overview of what that means and why some developers and companies are choosing these licenses. So good stuff there. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to everyone's favorite developer, Hansel, because he's got a blog post about using Visual Studio hotkeys in the PowerShell command line in Windows Terminal, which I love. And he also, you can just see his terminal setup is really cool. He's got great ship action too. So very, very good blog post from Scott. And um, over, uh, speaking of, of the command line, and, and we had talked about WSL, or Laurent mentioned that earlier too, as, as well as Aaron. This is a great episode of the uh, Tabs versus Spaces show on Channel 9. Really good stuff. It goes through some of the latest uh, WSL updates, some of the Windows terminal things, as well as the Windows package manager. Good stuff. And then finally, my pick of the week. I always have a pick of the week. This is Lego just basically announced that they have a brand new Space Shuttle Discovery set, and this comes with the Hubble telescope. I love it. I love space. I love Legos. Who doesn't? So good stuff there. All right. Back to you, Susan Laurent. That space shuttle looks absolutely amazing. So this should be a really great present. Thank you so much, Christina. As usual, it's really a lot of information, but don't fret anybody if you miss something or if you want to check something out um, that maybe uh, you know you're not you didn't write down. You can find all the links that Christina mentioned in our show notes, and this is at ak.ms/show notes. That's right. So moving on, let's have Jeremiah up 
on to share this week's audience challenge. Hi, Suze. I love last week's challenge on recovering database administrative piece. So what do you have for us this week? I hear that you have a special guest. Oh, I do indeed. So this week's topic is Azure DevOps, and there is no way that we were going to have a talk about that particular product without having Abel Wang on the show. So welcome, Abel. Hey, thanks, man. Of course. Tell people a little bit about you and your background and maybe give us a little bit of context on Azure DevOps as a product. Sure. So my name is Abel. I'm a principal cloud advocate and the DevOps lead here at Microsoft. And back in the day, I used to do a lot of work with the Azure DevOps team. So what is Azure DevOps? It's basically a set of built-in Azure services that lets you take any idea and turn that into a working piece of software in the hands of your end users. So to do that, it has five services. First, it's a work item tracking service where you can track any unit of work in your software project. Next, it's got a source control service, right? Both a Git version and a centralized version control system. There's also a CI-CD service, a manual test case management service, and finally, an artifact repository service. Gotcha. So that's really good context about the product and, and what comprises it. My guess is, as I'm listening to the different pieces that are in there, that with as much flexibility and functionality as that offers you, it probably also gives you lots of opportunities to make an absolute mess of things. Um, whether it's a customer that you've worked with or even something with your experience with the, with the Azure DevOps uh, development team, is there a story you wanna share with the audience about a time maybe where that process didn't go as well as it should have? Sure. So like I said, I used to be part of the actual Azure DevOps engineering team. And when we first started, we weren't very agile or DevOpsy at all. And in fact, we were pretty bad at it. And we had to do a lot of experiments to figure out how to do things correctly. So one thing we learned is at the end of the sprint, we need to always release. Because if we didn't release, certain things just didn't get done, right? So back then, we were trying out an experiment. Our cadence was three short sprints where we didn't deploy. And then we would have a fourth short sprint. And this was going to be our integration sprint, where we integrated all the parts together. And at the end of sprint four, that's when we deploy. So now, in theory, we're supposed to burn down all of our bugs from one sprint to the next. But guess what most teams did? We saw that we had this fourth integration sprint, and we weren't deploying until at the end of the fourth sprint. So let's just wait until the last sprint to burn down our bugs, right? What could possibly go wrong? So there were two teams that did things correctly. They burned down their bugs at the end of every sprint. And all the other teams, well, we ended up with a mountain of bugs. And there was no way we would be able to burn those down or ship in time. So we decided to punish those two teams that did the right thing because we made them help all the rest of us burn down our bugs. So the lesson learned, burn down your bugs at the end of every sprint. And at the end of every sprint, we had to deploy. Gotcha. So that's a really good example, kind of both of the power of the product, because all of the tools that you need to do that tracking and management and release process, they're all there. But at the same time, it also shows a little bit of the challenges where even if you have the tools, sometimes that process doesn't work out the way it should. That's actually a really good segue into our challenge question for the viewers. So uh, this will be up on Twitter shortly. But our question for everyone who's out there watching is, what's the biggest mistake you made 
in your process of adopting DevOps. It could be in any part of that process from the beginning to the end. It could be testing as part of your pipeline. Anywhere you look at that entire thing, where's the place that you feel like you made the biggest mistake in there? We'd love to get your stories. Respond back to the tweet. Make sure you're using that uh, Hello World Challenge hashtag. And then as always, tomorrow, we'll pick the best three or four of those um, and we'll share them on the air. So uh, with that, Abel, it's been absolutely fabulous having you on. Thanks for taking the time. And we'll go ahead and send it back over to Susan Laurent. Thank you, Jeremiah and Abel. Abel's sharing is definitely something that we can all learn from, and I can't wait to see what the audience come, come up with this week. Absolutely, and I'm so, so happy that we had Abel on the show. I hope that uh, it will not be in single occurrence because I love Abel, and did you see that collection of guitars? My God, this is absolutely fantastic. So now I'm really excited because I'm going to welcome another one of my really good friends. It's Dan Wallin, and he's going to talk to us about Microsoft Graph. Hello, Dan, how are you doing today? Hey, Laurent, it's great to see you. I'm doing good. That's really good to hear. So then tell me, first of all, what is Microsoft Graph? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, first off, I'll tell you what it's not. A lot of people hear that and they think it's GraphDB or GraphQL or something like that. But to more fully answer it, let's kind of walk through what we all do every day. So I hope, Laurent, if I said, you know, what do you do every day? You could say, well, I, you know, prep for Hello World. I write code. And that's all. But I suspect you do a lot of email, probably have a lot of chats going, a lot of files, a lot of tasks on different devices, and you know the list goes on and on and on. Uh, companies have a lot of data in Microsoft 365, of course. Mm -hmm. So what Microsoft Graph can allow us to do is tap into that data and bring it where the users are actually working. So here's kind of an official definition. Uh, Microsoft Graph provides a secure and unified API. Think of it as a kind of single doorway that once you know about this door, you can open it up, step on in, and now you have access to a lot of different things. And that allows us to access this Microsoft 365 and other cloud data and intelligence that is available out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is so precious because I, I can't tell you how many times I'm looking for where did somebody talk to me about something, right? And I don't know if it's email, if it's Teams, if it's a whole lot of things. So, so that could be very useful. So can you walk me through a scenario, maybe like a concrete scenario where I would use Microsoft Graph? Yeah, and, and that's another good way to really think about it. So let's say you're building a custom line of business app uh, for support or sales or something like that, because we all know there's not enough sales for CRM or those type of apps. But in the process of building this, you realize that your sales and support team need to tap into lots of different info and that you have a database. And like, that's it, you have that data. Well, they need to tap into people within the org that have certain skills to join on calls. They need to access certain files, of course. You can go look for those, but what if you could bring it right into the app where they work? Same thing goes with their email and their chats that they might've had to a customer all secured with their uh, user credentials. Mm -hmm. And then meetings and notes would be a, another example of this. Now, there are APIs out there that would allow you to access some of this data, but you know, can you imagine having to learn this API and this API and this and then maintain it? Well, Graph API, as I mentioned earlier, is this single endpoint that allows us to get into all of this. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So what's the best way for me to get started? Yeah, definitely the best way to get started is through Graph Explorer. And uh, you'll see a link here, aka.ms slash GE you can go to. 
So with that, let's uh, let's take a quick look at a, a demo of this, actually. Mm -hmm. So this is an example of Graph Explorer, and you'll notice someone's profile coming up in the JSON. Now, this is an mm -hmm. anonymous user. This is plain, but Megan Bowen's very famous. But this is the profile. Now, you can also sign in as yourself. If you don't have a developer tenant to play around with, you can join and get a free one right there. But in addition to getting Megan's profile, we can get a photo. Very useful because it's one through the Microsoft 365 uh, mm -hmm. email. We could get OneDrive, even SharePoint type files and bring those into the app. You'll notice right up top there that we have a URL, right? A URI, whatever you want to call it. And once you learn these, you can use them to filter. So we could filter by the person's email. We could filter by the file name. Mm -hmm. And now you could bring these files in that only relate to like a certain customer. Now, in addition to that, there's a really, really cool feature built into this with code snippets. So here's an example of a profile for C Sharp or JavaScript. You can copy and paste, use this JavaScript SDK, plug that into your app and get started. And if you don't see what you need there, because obviously that's just four, you can go to getting started. Now with that, let's just to wrap up, walk, walk over to VS Code real quick. And mm -hmm. I have just some really simple examples, but this is the JavaScript SDK for Microsoft Graph. And you're going to notice on line 10 there, we have this Microsoft Graph client. And this is used across the SDKs. We're going to provide it with some authentication information because this is all secured. Mm -hmm. And then we can use that to call a user's profile, get back that JSON, in this case, the ID and the display name. But we could also go in and grab the user's photo. Again, we could get to emails, we can get to chats, we can get to files, and much, much more. The list goes on and on and on. Now, we've only scratched the surface here. so. In reality, I can't cover it in five minutes, but we have an event coming up uh, called Learn Together, Building Apps with Microsoft Teams on April uh -huh. 14th. It's right. gonna be two hours. I hope you can make it, Laurent. So yeah, sign no, up absolutely. at the link I will check it out. You know, as a developer, nothing makes me happier than the new API to, to play with. But you know, thank you for just like deleting the next two weeks of my life, right? Because I'm going to play with that and that's going to probably take me a lot of time. So this is awesome. Let's bring Suze back. Mm. Hi. Yeah. So that was great stuff, Dan. Learned, yeah, learned a lot about how we could use Microsoft Graph. So Dan, given that it's your first time um, on this show, what do you think of the show? I already learned lots of great info. Um, not so much about Graph per se, because I'm already digging into that, but uh, very useful for just keeping up. And I think that's super hard with our jobs. So yeah, great job with all that and everybody else that joined. Awesome. We're really happy that you liked it. And we'll have somebody from your team joining us for the next three weeks, right? So up to the event mm -hmm. that you mentioned, uh, 14th April, and uh, which is a great day to remember because that's the day after my birthday. So that's really cool. So this is awesome. And for all the audience out there, we would love to hear your feedback as well. So if you go to ak.ms slash show notes, you will find uh, all our past episodes and you can also find all the information, the links and everything, but you can also give us feedback. But even better, during the live show, we love to to see your comments on the chat. So please, uh, when you listen to us, uh, make sure to tell us where you are from and, and all that. So let's bring all our hosts back. Uh, first of all, we had Dan, so hey, Dan. Uh, we had Aaron with OSS Spotlight. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, for your segment about Lazy Eat, right? And so the uh, link where people can find information is ak.ms slash hello-oss. 
Uh, we had Christina with This Week in Channel 9. As always, Christina, a huge lot of information and very, very uh, interesting information. So if people want to check it out, they can go to ak.ms slash show notes. And we had Jeremiah and Abel. So happy to have Abel on the show. And uh, the audience challenge, if you go to Twitter, hashtag Hello World Challenge, this is where you can find it. And Jeremiah, you'll be there tomorrow to um, tell us what people found and what people gave you, right? Yep, and Abel will be back with me. Awesome. So, Suze. Yep. Mm, that's what, right. Well, why don't we you also spoke get about the, the links from the start, right? Yes, that's right. We also spoke about Microsoft um, Include and Ignite China. So the on-demand mm -hmm. videos are actually ready. So do check them out. Um, our friends, including Lohong yourself, will be speaking at the Future Tech Digital. Definitely worth checking them out. And if, especially if you want to learn about the latest technology and everything um, .NET related. So registration closes in less than 24 hours. So you better hurry. Right. And we also have to hurry because we are at the end of the show. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We will be again tomorrow with Hello World and uh, join us for another amazing show. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Bye.